Ohio State hands Iowa its biggest beating in a long, long time. And we look ahead to what's going to go down this weekend versus Penn State. All that and more in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. Andy Vance joining you alongside Johnny Ginner. You know, Johnny, I think it was really interesting. You and I talked with Kyle Jones last week on the Dubcast about what makes Ohio State's defense so much better than it was a year ago. What makes Ohio State's offense the best in the industry? And I think we got to see a bit of both of what Dr. Jones was talking about, kind of live in living color when Ohio State took it to Iowa. Taylor two halves and all that, and we'll get to the slow start in a moment. But I was really impressed with just what we saw from both sides of the ball in terms of how good this Ohio State team as a whole can be. I think that game was a real, uh, to me, a showcase of why a lot of smart guys like Joel Klatt and Kyle Jones would say this is the most complete team in the country. Did you see it that way? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to to base that kind of off of just how unbelievably terrible um, Iowa's offense is. I mean, that one of those things where I, before the game, was thinking about this, and I'm looking at the stats, I'm like, okay, and I've seen Iowa games, obviously. I, I've seen how terrible they are. But still in the back of my head, it was like, you know, they're going to play Ohio State. They'll be up for it. Maybe they're going to be a little bit better than people expect just because maybe they're a little more hyped. And, and you know what? Here's the thing. Like, yes, Spencer Petras is, is bad and, and not a good quarterback, but he also has had a like a game or two where he looks competent. So I kind of expected them to maybe, I don't know, give Ohio State not a run for their money or anything like that, but but throw a couple of haymakers and maybe connect on one of them. Uh, you know, for a long game or something like that. And that just did not happen. I mean, th- this team, and speaking of Iowa now, is just unbelievably incompetent on offense. And it, it's in all facets. It's not like, oh, they have a bad offensive line, so they can't get their playmakers going. Or, you know, maybe the wide receivers aren't that great and they can't create separation for the quarterback. Or maybe the quarterback isn't that accurate. It's everything, everything from top to bottom. So as well as Ohio State's defense played, and they played unbelievably well, it really has to come with a caveat that, yes, Iowa really, really, really is that bad on offense. And, um, you know, turnovers don't just generate themselves. You know what I mean? They don't just pop out of thin air. You still have to make the plays and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, sacks don't just happen. But uh, I just... I am baffled <laughs> at how bad Iowa's offense is. And it's hard for me to really pat the Ohio State defense on the back too hard after seeing just how terrible they are uh, up close and personal. I mean, I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair caveat. I, I think it's a fair concern. You certainly were not alone in this. I mean, I, if you watch the telecast, if you if you weren't in the stadium watching, but you watch the televised uh, program, Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson had I think a lengthy discussion about this later in the game. Mm-hmm. And and you had, you know, Gus Johnson, I think pretty unequivocally saying Ohio state's the best team in the country. And Joel was in, and Joel, who by the way has Ohio state listed as his number one team in the country uh, for his top 10 this week, he kind of was a little more sanguine about things for the reasons you outlined. And he said something, something to the effect of, you know, I don't know what to make, of this Ohio State performance, defensively specifically, because on the one hand, you'd say, wow, that was, you know, a thorough beatdown. On the other hand, uh, you know, <laughs> quality. I mean, by every metric, like if you look at, if I mean, everything with Iowa, it's, you know, yards per attempt and yeah, yeah. getting, even getting into like the nitty gritty stuff. It's not a fluke that they're that as bad as they are. Like to- they are to- genuinely totally that fair. Bad. And my answer to that is, they scored 54 points. How many more did we want them to score? Like you and I went into the game predicting what 42 to 10, I think was our our score. And by the way, we were the closest uh, score predictors once again, this week of anyone on the 11 Warriors staff. So kudos to us. We are leading. We're the best. Everybody else sucks. Leading the charge uh, from the staff in terms of our pregame predictions. So, so I guess what I'm saying is that your caveat is, is fair, and is reasonable, and you make a compelling argument. And yet, I'm not sure that, you know, I, I they held them to 10 points. Mm-hmm. They scored 54. I'm not sure how much more six turnovers, as you mentioned, they don't just manufacture themselves. Right. I, I, 
I don't know how much. I mean, sometimes they do a little bit well, when yeah, when but, they're thrown directly into the arms of a linebacker, <laughs> which, which, which did happen a couple times. Yeah, I I just don't know how much more I expected from them than what they gave me. They, I thought sure. it was a really good performance, G- good enough that you know it was it was uh, holding Iowa to you know some of the lowest point totals of the season. Uh, Lathan Ransom comes out of it named as a semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Mm-hmm. It was a really good week, and I and I feel like. This is a game where, and somebody said this in our Twitter mentions, you know, this is a game that last year, you know, <laughs> you might have been concerned about because things started a little sideways for the offense. It took a half of football, almost three quarters, before Ohio State's vaunted offense finally got really good and rolling with a lot of he- a momentum and a full head of steam. So with the defense that they've had in past years, you know, I think they still win going they still, away, even, they even still if it's win. like the terrible defense from they still like win, but it, I think no. they still win by a lot. I mean, it, it really is this. <laughs> I cannot emphasize enough how atrociously bad. Yeah, they're bad. The Iowa offenses. And I think really, to me, the epitome of all of this was their. You know, the whole thing was dumb, but like their inexplicable uh, fake punt. Which, oh my god yeah i don't think was... anybody saw coming i i don't it completely caught everybody off guard but it was so incompetently executed that it almost felt it didn't matter if ohio state knew that it was coming or even if they were paying attention because you just kind of felt like the punter was going to fall down short of the first yard line. <laughs> it didn't matter yeah. and so to me like yes this is a, a i'm not hating on this win and i'm i think ohio state had a good performance Obviously, you want to clean up, uh, you know, that red zone stuff where you had to kick field goal after field goal. However, um, as far as the national scene, because that's really what we're doing, we're we're doing two things right now with these types of games. (laughs) We are comparing Ohio State against Michigan, right, specifically. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wrote a a little bit about this today, and I think that kind of compares favorably to how Michigan played against Iowa, where they – granted had to be on the road, but also allowed Iowa's offense to perform much better than they normally would and also struggled a little bit against their defense but you're comparing ohio state against michigan and you're comparing ohio state against the likes of georgia and tennessee now and even clemson and at alabama who will probably ray back in the thick of things at the end of the season yeah um so by that metric it was still a good win but i don't see it much different than like georgia beating the crap out of vanderbilt you know what i mean like that no no i think that's an absolute fair comparison and so, that and that's fine. And, and they they don't deserve to be dinged for this victory at all because they played great, especially in the second half. Um, but it it doesn't like impress me. It's not a resume builder. And, no, definitely um, not a resume builder. I think this is the kind of game though that you want to see a championship quality team pitch week in and week out, right? Sure. You when that you not only handle your business but you do it decisively. Where you know last year you had these exceptional offensive outputs, and you're like, God, the defense worries me going late the, right. the defense doesn't worry me going late now like it did no, and, and, it and you see that because you didn't you you didn't have these kind of wonky games like you did last year where yeah the offense was amazing but you know you had these huge chunk plays you had these busted coverages you had you know what they were they were really sound the defense was mm-hmm. really sound i was super impressed with them six turnovers is incredible hey you want to know a little secret you want to know how good ohio state's defense is right now how good are they all right looking at SP plus my favorite set of rankings, Ohio state's offense, number two in the country to Tennessee. Interestingly enough, the Mm. volunteers are catching lightning in a bottle here, this go around, but do you know where Ohio state's defense ranks in defensive efficiency? That's something I have not looked at recently. So yeah, I'm curious. Where are they right now? Number five. There you go. Number five behind number three, Georgia and number four, Alabama. Pretty good. Pretty good. Number two, by the way, is Illinois. Right. Uh, a team that I think it's uh, extremely yeah, likely. They, they have like Barnum. Championship game, you yeah. know. And number one defensive efficiency was Iowa, even after right. the unholy butt whipping that Ohio State unleashed upon them. So, I mean, that's a really interesting set of rankings there because of course iowa the number 101st rated offense versus sp plus uh, via sp plus uh and <laughs> illinois oh i just lost me illinois has the number 93rd rated yeah. offense so when ohio state faces illinois the big 10 championship 
uh, we're going to see a repeat of this. <laughs> That'll be really interesting. Iowa and game. I'm also, I mean, Illinois gets Michigan right before the game too. And that's yeah. going to be really fascinating. I, that could be one of those situations where it's like, you expect it to mean something and it means nothing, right? Like with Michigan state, you know, before the Michigan game last year. Right. Or it could be really telling of where both teams are at the end of the season, especially since Ohio state, it's, it's so odd to me because, um, you know, Michigan's going to be playing this team, this, this grinded out. Let's give chase Brown the ball 10 hundred billion times right before before the month of November. We don't, we've never heard of a pitch count. We don't know what that is. We're just going to grind the student to dust. And then Ohio state's going to be playing, you know, kind of an air it out pass happy kind of team. So that's, I'm really interested to see how maybe those two, um, those two games kind of prepare both teams for the game and, and where they're looking at that point in the season, because, you know, Michigan had a bye week and um, you know, they've got, you know, they got their big rivalry game coming up. They got to play Michigan state. Um, I don't know. The the last month is just going to be fascinating for both of these teams for a lot of reasons, I think. Yeah. And and so let's talk about this. Uh, I want to come back to, um, Oh, here's another little tidbit from SP plus, which I like, by the way, uh, resume SP plus is one that Connolly talks about occasionally and, Mm -hmm. and what it basically is, you know, it's kind of a, uh, resume SP plus looks at, how the average SP plus top five team would be projected to perform against a given schedule in terms of scoring margin and how your scoring margin compares to that. So anyway, uh, if SP plus resume figured the top four this week, it would be Ohio state, Georgia, Tennessee, and Michigan, which Mm. I think is really interesting. And by the way, Ohio state, uh, well ahead of the field at uh, plus 10.8 points per game versus Georgia's plus 7.7. Uh, Michigan actually is a minus 2.2. So they're actually underperforming, even though they're in the top four. Anyway, all that to say, I want to talk a little bit about the piece you wrote at 11 Warriors Monday, comparing Michigan and Ohio State's destruction of a singular common opponent, because you're our guy who who goes behind enemy lines, so to speak, every week <laughs> and and watches what is happening uh, in that den of iniquity known as Ann Arbor, Michigan. All right, lay it on me. Seven, eight weeks into the season, how concerned should I, the average Ohio State fan, be about the season-ending matchup? Are we moving toward a number two versus number three, number two versus number four matchup for all the marbles, and it's going to be one I'm going to sweat until the final whistle, or is Michigan a paper tiger? You might, I mean, it might be a one v two matchup, depending on how yeah. some of these SEC games shake out. You might get a, you know, a one v two game of the Millennium Part Two here thing. Uh, I think you should be very concerned. They're very, very good. And, and the thing about Michigan is not, you know, I said this last week. It, it, they, they last year were kind of a Jim Tressel team. This year, they're basically like a Brady Hoke, you know, fever dream kind of thing. Like it, they are man ball to the extreme think of a thousand different creative ways to run the same two plays basically with their running backs who are both very good. Um, you know, the, the only thing is I don't want to sound too dire because Michigan definitely is not a perfect team by any search of the imagination. It's just that what they do, they do incredibly well and they're not multifaceted. They're not going to attack you from a bunch, bunch of different angles. I think their wide receivers have been disappointing this year they're, you Which know, is they, helpful given Ohio State's defensive vulnerabilities. Yeah, it corners. does, and, it, and, it, and I think it does play into Ohio State's strengths a little bit um, that we've seen this year because they really are just going to try to run on you, and that's it. They're not going to try to do anything goofy or creative. They they have, you know, they have talent on the outside, but it's just not being weaponized. And, and it's funny because you know JJ McCarthy wins the the quarterback battle and, and pretty handily. And he's still kind of like hamstrung a little bit by the play calling. He's not asked mm-hmm. to air it out at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's got some wheels. The dude can run, but that's not really an essential part of the offense. They really are just kind of a grind you, you know, into pace kind of team. And that's and I respect that because they do it well. Their offensive line, I think, is a lot better than I thought they would be this year. And they're good. They're they're legitimately good. They they will be a test. If people are concerned about Ohio State's um you know toughness or whatever their ability to control the line of scrimmage that's going to be the ultimate test because honestly i don't know that there are very many teams in college football that 
challenge opponents at the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively, like Michigan does. And so that's what I think people should be afraid of because, you know, if Ohio State comes in and they're hyped up and they're ready to play that kind of smash mouth football, I think they beat Michigan and, and maybe fairly easily. But if Michigan comes in ready to play and punches them in the mouth, that's going to be hard to it's going to be hard for Ohio State to kind of get their footing um, because they'll keep that pressure on for the entirety of the game. And that's what makes them dangerous. So, you're, yeah, you're kind of back to the toughness argument, right? That it's I mean, it's going to come well, down to it's 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 so here's the thing. I, I really am not a believer in like, oh, it's just mentality. You know, they just got to be tougher. Like, I don't really believe that. However, I do think that what. Iowa was able to do part of what I was Iowa was able to do is they mixed coverages against CJ Stroud and that caused them to have to think a little bit more and slow everything down but they were also super aggressive on the defensive line and Michigan's going to do the same thing they're going to do the exact same thing they're going to try to disguise their coverages make CJ Stroud think for a second instead of just like whipping it out of there because he's got such a fast release and then they're going to blitz the hell out of them. And and basically, like, if Ohio State's offensive line can hold up against something like that, then they'll be gravy. They'll be fine because I, I don't think Michigan has any chance to compete with Ohio State's uh, wide receivers, you know, on the outside. Um, but if they can disrupt that, then they're going to try to control the flow of the game. And, you know, like I said, the last game they played, they had it for 42 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's insane. That is an insane That is insane. That's yeah. insane. That that does not happen in college football, especially modern college football, right? Where everybody's like winging it around. They held the ball for 42 minutes of game time. They want to do something similar to every opponent, and and they have the capability of doing that. Um, Ohio State just is going to have to convert and, and not get freaked out if you know if they come at them at a bear front or something stupid like that. So I don't know, man. It, not the bear it, front. That's great. That's but you know what memories. I'm saying, though. I do. Like that's I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm and, with and you. so even if Ohio State's not doing well, you know, running the ball like they had against against Iowa, um, they still they can't get freaked out. They can't get away from what they're doing because that's what Michigan loves to do to opponents and and force them to play at their tempo. And if Ohio State can avoid that, then I think again they're fine. Um, but that avoiding that is a tricky part. This this really is interesting to me, the, the matchup in terms of the individual strengths and weaknesses, because, you know, I was thinking about going into the Iowa game, knowing how bad Iowa's offense is, that in a way, the question was the unstoppable force, Ohio State's offense, number one mm -hmm. in the country, versus the immovable object, uh, Iowa's defense, number one in the country, which would give first. And, and my gut, and obviously yours was as well, based on our score predictions, was that the Ohio State offense would eventually battered down and defeat yeah. the Iowa defense. And clearly they did and very handily and even more, uh, a more awesome fashion than, than you and I had anticipated. Michigan obviously is a much more complete team than Iowa is. Michigan is, um, you know, good at some things that have given Ohio state fits in the past, but it's interesting hearing you talk, particularly when you think about the running game and that's kind of what they're, they're hanging their hat on in a lot of ways. Ohio state's defense has been really good against the run this season. If you look mm -hmm. through seven games, Basically, teams are running the ball 32 times on average, and Ohio State's allowing just under 91 yards per game. That's pretty An good. average of just 2.9 yards per carry and only six-tenths of a touchdown on average. That, by the way, is another thing that's really impressive about this defense. They're just not letting teams score. Right. You know, they have of, of six opponents now, seven opponents now, I think they've held three of the seven to 10 points. Uh, and only two of them, I think, scored 21. You know, it's been, it's been a really low-scoring affair for Ohio State's opponents so far, granting that they've not faced a truckload of really high-power offenses. So that's a fair critique. But against the run specifically, I, I said it, uh, you know, a, a week or two ago that you just can't run against this defense. And and so when you get a team that's as proficient as, as Michigan is, that's what's really going to, I, I, I think, Go well, you got to you got to get off the field, right? Like you got to get them. Yeah, and Michigan's not great on third down, um, <clears throat> which is interesting for a team that runs the ball as well as they do. But the, here's what here's my point on this: Ohio State is not going to have the luxury of like eight possessions in one half. You know what I mean? To get things going, like they have to be on it immediately because Michigan state's not going to give them that many opportunities. And that's, that's really the problem. And that's probably like what will keep the game closer maybe than it would, you know, be otherwise. Um, they, they cannot 
like they did against Iowa. They cannot come out and kick field goal after field goal after field goal, or even like they did against, you know, last year, like against Michigan. Um, you have to score touchdowns. You have to get it in there. Now, luckily, Ohio State has been very, very, very good in the red zone. Um, and I think, you know, what happened against Iowa was more of an anomaly than anything else. But you're just you're not going to get that many pitches to look at. The other thing I think, too, is that the game that Ohio State had against Iowa starting incredibly slow <laughs> offensively. <laughs> They can't repeat that performance versus Michigan, even with it being played in the horseshoe. You can't wait till the third quarter to find a rhythm. Now, right? I, I think it's fair to say, you know, a bye week hangover could have been a thing. Uh, you know, getting back into the rhythm after being off a week, maybe that's a thing. It takes you yeah. a quarter or two to get your get your groove back. Maybe they also didn't, you know, respect Iowa all that much as an opponent. I think that will be a very different story when the Wolverines come to town uh, looking at other things related to the game that Ohio state just played rather than the one they're going to play at the end of the season, Zach Harrison, there's a guy that we have not spent a lot of time talking about this season, but boy, oh boy, did that guy have a monster game against yeah. the Hawkeyes. He was fantastic. And that was, you know, and the thing is, is like, you never really know who's going to step up in any given game, especially because I think a lot of it is just dependent on the game plan and also the opponent but he was everywhere. He was everywhere. And, you know, I think he's had a pretty good season overall, but um, I love just the fact that he had so many different ways that he was able to impact the game. I mean, force fumble and a sack and all this others. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome to see. Yeah. I love that. Uh, looking at, looking at, you know, some of the standouts there, Harrison was good. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg, obviously just uh, fantastic. I mentioned Lathan ransom uh, mm -hmm. nominated for the Thorpe award now. Um, really impressive. The turnovers, uh, I think were, were incredible. And the other thing that's interesting, you know, talking about this defense a little bit more, cause I just can't say enough good things about what they've accomplished this season, you know, looking at the final score and you'd say, oh, well, they gave up 10 points. Well, they didn't actually give up 10 points yeah, because, right. you know, that one touchdown that they scored was not against Ohio State's defense. Right. I think that's, I mean, I think that's important to look and at. That's hard to do against any, I mean, even as historically bad as Iowa, that's hard to do against any offense. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's impressive no matter what. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's look a little bit about um, this week. So big game. Oh, and I, sh the other, the other person I meant to give a shout out to is Noah Ruggles. How about that guy? Oh my oh, God. Ohio state, uh, Ohio state in the mud, not able to finish drives with touchdowns. Haven't gotten to see much of Ruggles this go around this season, but man, he earned his keep on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, when the dude goes out and then rusty as hell because his ax did not do basically anything because they've been so unbelievably good scoring touchdowns in the red zone and then comes out, you know, like I said, cold as hell and then just ends up nailing all of them. And that's pretty impressive. I think that's, that's pretty cool to, to see. And I like, you know, obviously it's not, uh, you know, ideal when you have to kick a, a field goal but i still get a little bit just as a you know as an ohio state fan in the early 2000s and a jim trestle devotee it's still like i enjoy it i enjoy a good kicking game i, I you know i don't know so i'm glad he's out there and, and doing great things and, and being as consistent as he's always been i think that's pretty great uh here's an important question for you before we move on to to penn state uh we talked about you know, Ohio State's, uh, I'm sorry, Michigan's running game. How concerned are you about Ohio State's running game uh, after seeing how relatively poorly they did compared to their own high standards uh, versus Iowa? Do you chalk that up to Iowa being the best defense in the country or, or are you concerned uh, with the output there from the running backs? Um, I'm a little concerned about it. I mean, I think they need to to be consistent on a week to week basis. And we haven't always seen that. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't want to say that's a trend until you see it. Maybe, you know, like I said, multiple weeks in a row. And the thing is, too, is like, you know, they're really good running backs. Like, that's the other thing. It'd be one thing if I thought these were just marginal talents and OK, they're getting away with playing really terrible defenses and blah, blah, blah. But you know, I believe in both of these guys, you know, Williams and, and Anderson. And I, I don't think that um, they will struggle against good teams, you know, just as a matter of course, you know what I mean? Like, I, I really do believe that this, these, both of these dudes are legit. And, um, 
you know, Iowa game accepting. I, I, I got to believe that's an exception to the rule and not not a standard for what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I'm not at all concerned about it because their output so far has been really fantastic. And I think it'll continue to be that way. And of course, these guys have been, you know, going back and forth with injuries and yeah, so on. So I'm 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 not at all worried about it. And I think you just give credit where it's due. Iowa's defense was really good. Yeah. They're really yep. good. Agree. Uh, it's it's impressive that Ohio State was able to score as many points against them as they did. Ohio State's wide receivers still exceptional. I made the claim on Saturday. You know, why not we just go ahead and give Marvin Harrison Jr. the Heisman because <laughs> if there's a better wide receiver in the country than him, I don't know who it is. Emeka Buka, like maybe maybe Matt. maybe that's it. I mean, I I know we we have spent a lot of this season really singing the praises of these wide receivers, but. I mean, Harrison, just week in, week out, week in, week out, does something insanely crazy, amazing Yeah, on the football field. Yeah, he's pretty incredible. I mean, just the amount of touchdowns really alone is is pretty wild. I, you know, I think there are a lot of really great wide receivers out there, and I don't know. I mean, part of it is just, I mean, you can't just look at stats alone. You got to see what some of these guys are doing, particularly like who's throwing to them and what they're able to accomplish and things like that. Barman Harrison is interesting. I mean, Emeka Buka obviously is is putting up wild numbers and getting tons of catches, and that's great. Marvin Harrison Jr., I think, captures people's imagination, not just because of his size, but just the his body control. It's the same thing with, you know, Alave, right, where you were looking at a guy, and it, it's not so much that he's just overpowering guys or or just running so much faster than everyone else. It's just that he feels like, if you get the ball within five yards of the dude, it's going to be a catcher. At least he's going to get a good shot at it in a way that the defender has no chance of stopping. And I think a lot of that too goes, you know, a lot of that credit should go to CJ Stroud, really knowing exactly, you know, what his wide receivers are capable of and putting them in places to catch balls that he knows won't be contested in a way that, you know, is really serious or look for interception or anything like that. Um, but I, it is it is kind of wild to watch these dudes. And you want to see Jackson Smith and Jigba get out there and, and be successful. He looks like he was a little gimpy. I know that Ryan Day said that, you know, he's on a pitch count. So, you know, they're just trying to, you know, work him back slowly. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It it looks like for right now, uh, Emeka and uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. And, and then, you know, Fleming, obviously, is they're really the core. And that still serves Ohio State really, really well because they're all emerging as stars which is pretty cool to see. I am just uh, yeah, really impressed week in and week out because when you think, oh, okay, there's no way they can continue to put up just these video game numbers, but then they do, or they put up more than they did last week. Uh, I think a lot of it goes to, and I would encourage people that didn't listen to last week's episode with uh, Kyle Jones to go back and listen to it, talking about what it is that Ryan Day does as a play caller that puts these guys into position. Now they've got to be insanely good route runners, you know, on their mm-hmm. own, right. You can just tell they're the best coach wide receivers in the country. Brian Hartline is earning every ounce of cheddar going his way, but looking at what, what Ryan day does schematically with that offense to keep even the best defenses in the country from being able to really slow it down for more than a quarter or two. And the adjustments made at halftime, because as we said, then come third quarter, you know, they find that rhythm and it was really even, relatively late in the third quarter it felt like before they really started as you called it earlier throwing some haymakers and really putting uh iowa's chances into the dirt i it felt like it was kind of hanging around if they'd had mm-hmm. a competent defense maybe they might have had a, a chance to catch up a little bit not i don't know they would there was no plane of existence where they were going to win but yeah just super super impressive uh performance let's talk about penn state a little bit looking ahead uh, after the Iowa game and after Michigan's drubbing of Penn State, that take a little bit of bloom off this uh, rivalry, not rivalry matchup with the Nittany Lions? A little bit, but I still think they're dangerous. And the other thing is, is, I mean, a lot of it to me, I mean, yes, Ohio State's had a ton of success against Penn State, you know, going back, you know, 10, 12 years now. But I just feel, I don't know, man, Happy Valley feels cursed to me. And anytime it's a road game, I'm still nervous no matter what. Um, I, I don't care if it's a noon game. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't have the same juice as a whiteout, but something about Penn State just feels cursed. And, and, you know, there have been some 
again, a lot of success, but there have been some really upsetting losses, particularly at Happy Valley. And uh, I just, I, that has to be avoided. So I, I'm sure they'll be up for this game. It's a kind of a weird, it just feels like a weird setup. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying Ohio State's going to be like snake bit or anything like that, but it's, it, it is definitely one of those games where I feel like they have to treat it as deadly seriously as they did before Penn State got blown out. And like I said, everything going forward is you're basically shadow boxing against Michigan. You have to, if you want to prove that you're the better team, if you want to keep up with the Joneses, you've got to beat the crap out of them even more than Michigan did. And that's a game, by the way, that Michigan absolutely gets up for. Um, that's a huge, you know, I think a, like a, you know, demarcation line for that team. Say how, how well did we play against Penn state? Well, I think Ohio state's got to do that too. Um, and, and really get up for that game. The thing I think that's really interesting about that, that kind of scenario you just presented there and, and using it as something as a benchmark or a line of demarcation this is a season that it feels to me like we're going to do this with Ohio State several times where, you know, that Notre Dame game should have been a pretty good answer. You open the season with a top 10 opponent, uh, you know, fresh out the box and you say, oh, man, this we're going to find out if this Ohio State team is really good. And then <laughs> they play this kind of, you know, hard fought, grindered out game. And then it looks like, wait, maybe Notre Dame isn't that good after all. Right. So, well, then when we face, you know, and and so Penn State's going to be one of those. And I think we thought maybe Michigan State would be, except, oh, wait, Michigan State's terrible. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you just kind of keep kicking it down the road. If, if Ohio State comes out and does with Penn State what they've done with every opponent previous to now, we're, I think we're going to say the same thing. I think we're going to say, well, we really don't know how good Ohio State is until they face Michigan, yeah. and that's going to be Michigan, which I mean, to some extent, we've probably been saying all season long because this wasn't exactly, you know, the toughest schedule in the known universe. I think it's a good schedule for Ohio State to have. Some well, tests. it's tougher than Michigan schedule. Yeah. <laughs> By, but, and that's the funny thing, because they've been like, oh, Ohio State ain't playing nobody. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Michigan's played like, less. Than yes. Nobody. But. Yeah, I mean, I mean, fully half of Michigan's schedule at this point, more than that, even is against just the absolute just dredge dregs of the of the college football world. Um, and, you know, the thing is, I mean, if you look at Penn State, right, and you look at their schedule and who they've beaten, it, it is really like they have had an up and down season in a lot of different ways. And that's the other thing that kind of makes me nervous sometimes is it's the same thing that I was thinking before the Iowa game. And I really fully, truly appreciated how terrible Iowa's offense is, but teams get up for Ohio state, right? They, that is their super bowl for a lot of these teams. They want to show and prove that they are, you know, capable of, of swinging with the big boys. And especially if you're a team that, okay, maybe sneaking into the big 10 championship, you know, I might be able to do something here. Um, you just got to be really careful of those teams. And, and is the, is the Penn state team that's going to show up is, are they the team that, you know, lost to Michigan by what, like 35, or is it the team that just beat Minnesota by 35, you know, by almost the same margin? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who's going to show up and do this. Like is, is, is the Sean Clifford that passed for like 150 yards against Michigan to show up or Sean Clifford that passed for 300 yards against Minnesota. I don't know. Um, and, and so that's the kind of thing where I'm like, that's why as Ohio state, you've got to go in, you've got to establish the run early. You have to be able to do a lot of the things that you couldn't do against Iowa to at least show that you can do them and then put away a team like Penn state quickly and not let them hang around into the second or third or fourth quarters. The question of who shows up and, and which version of Penn state shows up is a good one. The one I was thinking about too, when you, a minute ago talked about, you know, it's not a wide out, but you always got to get up for Penn State. Does Penn State not scheduling Ohio State as a wide out say something about their level of respect for the Buckeyes as an opponent now? In, in other words, are they tired of losing to Ohio State at a wide out <laughs> and decided, you know what, hell with it. We know we're going to maybe our, we're going to get our butts whipped. Let's just make it a nooner because who cares? No, no, I think that's a fair point. I mean, if I like if I mean, that was honestly my first reaction when I heard it was a noon game. My first reaction was. It's not a whiteout that sucks. And then my second reaction was those cowards. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a whiteout. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it has not worked out for them recently. And, um, you know, I, I can see that. I can understand why a team would be like, this is supposed to be a special fun thing. Let's do it against a team that we're pretty sure we'll be able to beat. Yeah, you don't schedule um, Michigan for homecoming as an example. You know, you, you, right. you're you're scheduling, you know, you, you're going to take Rutgers or Northwestern or something like that for yeah. homecoming Yeah, if you have the option to do so. Yeah, I get it. I mean, and look, it's it's a fun environment. You don't want that spoiled every single time. And I also, I, I do think that, you know, they want, part of it probably is they don't want the whiteout to be just the prerequisite Ohio State game. They probably want to mix it up a little bit, which I respect. But um, yeah, if I were Penn State, I mean, shoot, schedule Purdue or somebody. <laughs> like Get Northwestern Indiana in there for a whiteout. Just beat the crap out of somebody and then, you know, just enjoy it for once, I guess. Uh, looking at uh, some other odds and ends here uh, as Ohio State prepares for Penn State, 15-point favorite. Uh, I have it penciled in my score prediction just yet, but it, it's probably going to be something similar to what I've what I've been thinking just based on Ohio State's line. But opening is a 15-point favorite with an over-under at 61.5. Uh, that's maybe a little higher total than I would would expect just because I'm giving Ohio State a little more credit defensively, I think, than that. I, I think, uh, you know, expecting Ohio State to score in the 40s and the Nittany Lions to be in the 20s seems a little generous to them for, again, for some of the reasons you just outlined, and I don't have a lot of faith in their in their quarterback. Uh, one big question, I think, is uh, not related to this game specifically, but the rest of the season in general. What are the chances that we see Jackson Smith and Jigba back uh running routes for ohio state is is this latest aggravation to his hamstring injury or whatever uh sidelined him after a few snaps saturday one that that you think has him thinking the nick boza scenario or are we not there yet i mean i hope not like i i mean i would like to see i mean selfishly i would like to see him back on the field and, and yeah absolutely. just because it's fun well you know and just for the fun fact i don't i don't know that I mean, we talked about this, you know, does it really, does he, does his presence make Ohio State, Ohio State's passing game, you know, 100 yards better per game? Like, no, I yeah. don't think it that. It makes them better. It doesn't make them a lot better. Yeah. And, and look, it's not, it's his decision, clearly. And I don't want to say that the guy should ever, you know, put his health in jeopardy, especially when it comes to his future earning potential. However, I think this is not quite the same situation where he would get the benefit of the doubt. If he enters, for example, if he enters in the draft, you know, this upcoming draft here in 2023, I don't think he would get the benefit of the doubt that like a Bosa would, you know what I mean? Like it, it, and granted, yeah, he's an Ohio state wide receiver and he, he's going to be great because he's been coached by a really great coach. And, you know, these Ohio state wide receivers have gone to the NFL and, and look really good right now. I mean, Ohio state um, wide receivers in the NFL are kind of the opposite of Ohio state's quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, I know it's <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. I, I mean, and honestly, cause you, you, you know, we've, that's been the bugaboo for years that right. Ohio state quarterbacks are, are to a man busts in the league. Right. And it's crazy how well Ohio state wide receivers are doing. And it's not just like the huge names too. I mean, guys like Noah Brown and Paris Campbell are going out there and yes, performing really well. Guys, you darn near forgotten about. Exactly. And you know, then all of a sudden they're popping up in highlight reels, and you're like, wait a minute, I forgot that dude was still playing. Right, and, and they're been out there, there for years. Yeah, they're and they're out there making it crazy, you know. And and guys, you know, Chris Olave, he's out there having some great performances. Yep, you know, as 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 a rookie rookie wide receiver, so it it can be done. I hear what you're saying about he's not going to get the same benefit of the doubt. And yet, you know, if I'm an NFL scout, I'm looking and saying, hey, I know he's right. Hell, you had Joe Clyde on the program saying, look, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be the best wide receiver in the NFL, mm -hmm. you know, in three or four years. Right. And I'm like, I'm not sure it's going to take that long because I think that guy is ready to roll day one. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I think he's, he would be. You could play him. He's he's ready now. He's but see, that's now. the thing though, because I don't think I don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba has that same cred. And and part of it is I think the NFL would say, okay, well, he had that one really great game. You know, where yeah. what is what is the rest of his resume? Mm -hmm. And so yeah, selfishly, I want him back on the field because I think he makes Ohio State better. And I just enjoy watching him play because I think he's a great ride wide receiver. But I also think that he needs to bolster his own resume a little bit. And 
you know, you can't do that if you're not healthy. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think for him, the smart move would come back when he's healthy um, and, and hopefully, you know, make himself a little bit more known nationally or at least get him back on the radar of, you know, people who are watching these games to, to pay you later, if that makes sense. Because um, it, it really is, what have you done for me lately? You know what I mean? And that was the thing, you know, with going back to even Cardell Jones, Cardell Jones should have immediately left Ohio State because his stock never was going to be higher. It was never higher. After that championship. And, you know, I don't think JSN is at that point. So, you know, unless he can come back towards the end of the season and really put in some amazing performances, I I would think even the dude would, you know, hopefully, you know, make that statement or or be able to do all of that. Uh, But in lieu of that, I I think it's going to be a little bit of a struggle for him if he's, you know, in the draft in 2023. Looking ahead to the rest of Ohio State's schedule, we know now Penn State and Northwestern will both be nooners. Michigan was previously announced as a nooner. Uh, you know, it's feeling like to me, Ohio State's going to play the rest of the season at at high noon because you've got Indiana yeah. and Maryland, and there maybe one of them will sneak in a three thirty. But there are no more night games on the schedule, to my mind. Does that uh, that sound right to you? I, I Big Ten. Has Who been knows? Notorious. Sometimes you know what though. You're right. I mean, they've like, been notoriously they allergic in... to night games in November. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, yes, that's true. Yes, but I also, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I feel like scheduling so freaking weird now. Who knows? Is they maybe they're all going to be night games that we don't know about? I don't know. Um, I kind of schedule- hope not. But- Speaking of scheduling being so weird, the Big Ten reportedly will keep divisions for one more year. Great, and will probably release their twenty-three schedule sometime this week. Maybe if they get around to it. Uh huh. I, you know, on the one hand, I get this, the the idea that, hey, we're going to keep the divisions as they are because we just will wait until USC and UCLA join the conference before we blow this thing up and, you know, do it over again. We don't want to have to do two changes in a row, in other words, change it next year and then change it again the week after. The other part of me says, oh, come on, <laughs> you, you could figure this out. Right. How do yeah. you feel about one more year of East versus West and uh, the East being one of the best divisions in the country and the West playing JV ball? It'll be funny, though, when uh, it looks like they're more evenly matched next year for whatever reason. Like, I don't know why, but, you know, at some point they'll be like, oh, yeah, OK, well, this makes sense. And then they'll him and haw about it before finally eliminating it. And then people will be like, no, this makes sense. It's fine. Um, I just think people get annoyed or upset when anything changes. And even if it's a smart change that should happen, like getting rid of these dumb divisions, um, I think there's still going to be a, a decent amount of hand wringing. Um, and I look forward to playing Michigan, like, you know, three times in three a row. Times. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to, we're going to finish this episode up after ask us anything with the discussion of the uh, college football playoff field and which scenario is more likely two SEC teams or Ohio State and Michigan both making the Big Ten or making I'm sorry the college football playoffs we'll talk about that at the end of the program uh but as as I've given the teaser now we may as well shift gears into the the most popular segment of the program ask us anything I would remind you that the program the dubcast and ask us anything is brought to you by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com hats t-shirts stickers all the finer things in life can be found at drygoods.11warriors.com. The holidays are coming. You may as well start stocking up now. Buy things for that special someone in your life or just anyone in your life, really, at drygoods.11warriors.com. Johnny, what have we in the mailbag this week? Well, we want to remind you that you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And like I said, we love answering all questions because, it's just, you know, that's it is ask us anything, not ask us some things that we might or may not answer. Um, so let's go ahead and get started with uh, with ask us anything here. Um, this is from. Uh, <laughs> well, so we've got we've got a. um we have kind of an involved one here, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on the back burner for a second. This one, this one actually. So, Kevin, I will, um, I will the the extensive one about the Heisman. I'm gonna we're gonna put that on the back burner for a little bit, especially as we get maybe a little bit closer to having that conversation about CJ Stroud. Uh, but I'm gonna start here with our good friend Alvin, who wants to know very simply, what is the Mount Rushmore of Halloween candies? Uh, first off, I want to give a shout out to my man Alvin for 
bringing a new wee baron into the world congratulations me amigo oh congratulations that's fantastic being, being a daddy is the best thing in the known universe uh certainly in in my life so uh Alvin makes he, he and mrs alvin make cute babies so congrats on that uh mount rushmore of halloween candy uh i'm super stoked the little tyke and i love doing halloween trick-or-treat together we've done coordinated uh halloween costumes for several years now and it's it's just a ball i i uh do not look forward to the day when she no longer wants to go trick-or-treating around the neighborhood with daddy because she's become too cool for that sort of thing uh my favorites um start off always uh with the reese's cups and in particular if you get the you get the pumpkins you know which were were shoot off of the uh easter eggs um those they're are just great, lump. But... look i love reese i love reese cups as much as anyone else they're just lumps they don't look like anything <laughs> yeah well that's true fair point uh so since you mentioned reese's pieces second to the reese's cups will be reese's pieces you don't get those very much in 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 trick-or-treat i will i will admit um more likely to get m&ms which are also fine i love m&ms um but but definitely uh reese's cups and reese's pieces will be two of my two of my favorites um there was a place that I loved when we were kids. We would go, uh, we lived out in the country. We didn't have enough neighbors to justify doing trick-or-treat in the neighborhood. So we went to my mom's hometown into you know, one of the little subdivisions there where she knew a lot of people and we would not be looked at as interlopers, you know. And we were we were going around the neighborhood and there was this one house, a uh, nice older couple, but they gave out full-size candy bars. And I oh, just yeah, there we go. I just remember thinking these were the nicest people on the face of the good planet. people, good human beings. They were amazing. Yeah. He owned the grocery store in town. Um, was there they owned the grocery store in town. And so I I they must have got you know like special deals with the supplier or something just to be able to stroke full-size candy bars to every every little monster that came around the corner. Uh I loved crackle bars. Those are crunch, not crackle, crunch, crunch bars. Um mm. the blue one, the blue ones with the red letters, those those were among yeah, my yeah, yeah, crunch, yeah. And, and the crunch. other thing that I loved as a kid doing trick or treat that I don't know that you can even do anymore. Um because you I mean you really got to know where it's coming from to be able to take like handmade stuff, like homemade treats you know i don't know that i would sure. love for my kid to bring home handmade homemade treats from that's where all the razor blades are you yeah very well yeah uh but i love popcorn balls like there was a lady yeah, in that neighborhood go. that made these amazing popcorn balls and so those were the two houses that we always wanted to go to was the the grocery store people to get the full-size candy bars and then to the nice little lady that made the popcorn balls and they were amazing so that's not really uh a mount rushmore of candy per se but those were the things that were on my list as a trick-or-treater 40 years ago that's pretty good. I like that. Um, yeah, I mean, Reese's Cups are definitely on the Mount Rushmore. I, I mean, you just start and end at Reese's Cups for me, and I would be and I'd be happy. Yeah, it's really freaking good. And the thing is, you know, I feel like Halloween candy is a different category of candy than regular candy. It is. Because I love jelly beans. I wouldn't necessarily consider that not Halloween, Halloween candy. No, not at all. That's an Easter It's candy. not one they give out on Halloween very often, and I, I probably would have appreciated it if they did. But that's not just what that's just not one I got very often. Yeah. So I think when I was a kid, if I'm thinking of the the Halloween candy that I coveted, right, that I really, really wanted, um, I, I loved obviously, like I said, the Reese's Cups right there. That's that's the Abraham Lincoln on the Mount Rushmore. Right? Yes. That's that's yes. the one you gotta have. Um I I so I kind of like sour kind of candy, Ooh, like, okay. like you know, this I like the stuff that's not. I don't like the pure chocolate all the time. I, I got to have a little bit of sour sweet with the the chocolatey stuff. I love Sour um, Patch Kids at the movies when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Sour Patch Kids. So Sour Patch Kids, I I don't know if I would put them on my Mount Rushmore. I really nope. do enjoy them. They're yep. really good. But I love Gobstoppers. Oh. Like, I love Gobstoppers. So I would put that there. That's I think that would be number two for me. Um, nice. Because it's something you got to kind of gnaw on a little bit. Uh, I just, I don't know. I really enjoy Gobstoppers for whatever reason. So, yeah, those are up there. I think Snickers, I got, I love a good, you know, love like Snickers. even the small mini ones, they just, it feels like you're really getting something out of it. I love Snickers. So I got to put that on there. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty good. I like the combo of all the stuff. And I'm, you know what? I'm going to sneak this in. I also had one of those, um, you know, cool houses near where I lived where I was doing trick-or-treating, and they made uh, cotton candy, like fresh homemade oh, cotton candy. Oh, wow. 
And granted, I don't really like, you know, cotton candy is fine in most contexts. But when you're getting like a giant free bag of it at Halloween, yeah, and you're kind of carrying, I, you just feel like the king of the mountain. And so I love that. I love getting that cotton candy on Halloween because it just made me feel like I had a successful haul. So that was like the cherry on top. So that I would include that on my Mount Rushmore just because of what it meant to me when I was a little kid. Yeah, so. that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. And and this is probably a good uh, a good place to ask this question uh, because neither one of us mentioned it. How do you feel about candy corn? That's always uh, that's always a I, classic, it's, it's, uh, it's just corn syrup. Like whatever. I've had corn syrup in other contexts, and it's fine. <laughs> I like candy corn. I like candy corn too. It it cracks me up at how people lose their minds on social media. Yeah, you've eaten it in a thousand <laughs> other forms, and it tastes exactly the same. It's fine. It's what kind of tickles me is that you know when you. You get not only the uh, candy corn, but the little candy corn pumpkins. Like it's the yeah. same stuff. It's exactly the same. But it's in the like, oh, it's different. Pumpkin. No, it's it's no, literally it's the, same the same thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I'm fine with candy corn. I circus peanuts are disgusting. I can't. Eat oh those. yeah. No, no, I can't do it. No, no, no. Those are horrific. But candy corn, totally fine with. It's just it's sugar. Whatever. I'll eat it. Um. Okay. So this next one here, this is from Kevin, and it's kind of a three pack. So. At the approximate halfway point in the season, who other than CJ Stroud is the running for team MVP? That's a good question because I've got a couple different answers. I'm, I, I think Tommy Eichenberg comes to mind yeah. as the quarterback of the defense. I, I mean, I think that's, you know, but after listening to Kyle Jones last week, I could also be tempted to say a guy like uh, Tanner McAllister. That's right. Because of what he has meant in bringing that defense to life. And I think if goals. you ask Jim Knowles, he would say Tanner McAllister. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, so th- those are the guys that come to my, my mind really, really quickly, you know, and I, and I was singing Marvin Harrison's praises earlier. It's hard for me to say one of the wide receivers because they're also damn good. So in terms of most valuable, we've kind of proven that it's, you know, next man up with those wide receivers. So it's not like, Oh, if that guy's gone, the team is, you know, that's what you really what to me when you think about most valuable player is if this guy wasn't there, would it all fall apart? You know, if this guy wasn't there, how big of a hit is it? Right. And that's why I go to a McAllister and an Eichenberg mm-hmm. uh, because I think like CJ Stroud, you look and say, I really don't know if I would like to see what this looks like without that guy in the picture. I think that's fair. I think that's a good, I think that's a good way to think about it. And I would, I think I would have to agree with you on that. Um, Terry McAllister. Same thing, same thing with running backs, right? Like is in sure. not, neither, neither of those guys is so much better than the other that you would say, Oh, clearly it's mine. I might say, I think Mayan Williams might be the guy I would be more likely to lean on Henderson mm-hmm. maybe, is the, but, but neither one of them is one like, God, if we didn't have Mayan Williams, we'd be screwed. No. Cause you know, you got Henderson. Alan Hayden's done a pretty admirable job in relief. Right. So, you know, it, 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 that's, that to me is how you have to answer that question. Is it not, it's not who's the most impressive. It's not who's got the best stat sheet. It's which one of these guys is the foundation on which everything else rests. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really good point. Now, the other question here is, what about Jackson Smith and Jigba? And, you know, if he weren't injured, would he be in the running for something like that? Uh, but again, I, I no, just based on what I said a minute ago about the wide receivers, right? Because it's so it's so by committee, right? It it is, yeah. Because you know, like I say, I was I was talking during the game, and some of it was you know because we're watching in real time Harrison do these incredibly insane things and make these these catches, and he's just really incredible. And I'm like, you know, who's better than him? And, and the first thought that came to mind is, well, maybe a Mecca Abuka, uh, right. because he's been the workhorse. You know, he's yeah. Uh, Harrison's getting the highlight real catches because he's a circus freak, but it's it, you know, Abuka's the guy that's got stat sheet that's kind of wild, you know, and they, mm-hmm. just just Mister Reliable, Mister Consistent, do it all, do anything. So when you've got, I mean, hell, we're talking about two guys there, and and you know, you, you've got. Kate Stover hurdling guys during the during the game, you know, because you've got tight ends getting into the mix as pass catchers. There's not a single pass catcher who is like essential to the success of the team because you can plug in and play right. any one of these unbelievable talents that Brian Hartline's accumulated in his room. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, so Last question then here is who do you think might emerge in the second half of the season? Who do you think is going to be really, really vital in that respect? 
Well, I, I've started paying more attention because of Professor Jones to the safeties. So, mm-hmm. you know, looking at a guy like Lathan Ransom, who, you know, again, you can't say they're going to emerge per se because I just mentioned he's a Thorpe Award semifinalist or whatnot. Well, yeah, but people, I, I don't know. I mean, do you think Ohio State fans have been paying a lot of attention no, to Lathan no, Ransom? No, absolutely I don't think not. so. There's a reason that everybody knows Tommy Eichenberg because he's got right. a stat sheet, right? Like, right. And, and, and Kyle Jones, and again, I'd say go back and listen to this episode if you hadn't. But when we were talking about Zach Harrison, you know, he's mm-hmm. like, we're not talking about Zach Harrison a lot because he hasn't had these kind of, you know, insane numbers on the stat sheet. But if you look at what the ends are doing in the system relative to what they're being asked to do, they've been playing very, very well. Mm-hmm. And it's allowing yeah. Mike Hall and it's allowing Tommy Eichenberg and it's allowing some of these other guys to stuff the stat sheet because that's what they're supposed to be doing. Right. So, you know, and again, there you could just say, look, uh, you could make the argument that Zach Harrison was the the player of the game on defense, but he wasn't the guy who had the most impressive stat line of the day. Right. But what he did on the field, if you were watching the game and watching what he did and how disruptive he was and so on, was really incredibly impressive. So I think you could see a guy like that emerge quote unquote, Mm -hmm. because depending on what you're, what you're following or what you're paying attention to, how you're evaluating this, you know, it won't be any surprise if Tommy Eichenberg continues to tackle about a million people a game. It, it won't be a surprise if Tanner McAllister continues to pick off passes. Like, those things won't be a surprise. So, you know, I'm looking at, at at guys like, you know, another guy I think you could see emerge, quote, unquote, would be Denzel Burke. And part of that's mm-hmm. because we know what he's capable of doing. You saw it last year when nobody knew what the hell they were doing. He was the king. <laughs> he, he was the one guy who looked like he might have an inkling. And he's had a bit of an up and down season this season. But we talked about it. Uh, you know, Dan Hope had made the point that that I thought was really smart. When you look at the plays that Ohio State hasn't made on defense, it wasn't because the guys were out of position or was busted coverage. They just didn't finish the tackle or get the guy to the ground or whatever it was. They were fixable problems per se. And, and so I think you could very well see a guy like Denzel Burke emerge, quote unquote, because we've been saying, God, the cornerbacks are the weakness those guys step up here as, as they very well could because they're getting more and more comfortable with their role in the position, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Coach Knowles keeps coaching them up week in, week out, week in, week out. You can see one of those guys emerge, so to speak, as a really important, particularly as they play some better offenses later in the season, you know, looking at Maryland as a team that could challenge them uh, a little bit through the air, you know, Michigan, certainly as we talked about. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, Latham Ransom, I think, is a good example of that because they will have the opportunities. Guys like him will have the opportunities to get those turnovers and do some of those things that maybe you won't see as much from defensive linemen. And, um, you know, I, I, I think they'll, they will get more publicity, especially as, you know, the talk about Big Ten championships or college football playoffs starts to become more real and people start looking I think a little bit more closely to the defense and the, and will not be as reductive as just looking at one dude and saying, that's the defense for Ohio state. And then moving on um, it, as the team starts to get a little bit more closely examined, I think you'll see play from guys like Tanner McAllister and like the ransom and, you know, Harrison and whatnot get a little bit more pub, which is good. And they deserve it because they've been playing really, really, really well. So um yeah, it'll be interesting, and and I think that's a really good question because uh, it really does kind of influence the narrative around the team, and especially going into the end of November, you know, wherever this team is, it's going to be um, a big part of how we talk about the game, and you know, hopefully the Big Ten championship and beyond. So that'll be that's a great question. I appreciate you guys sending those in, as we appreciate all the questions that we get for ask us anything. So keep doing so, and uh, we'll keep answering them. All right, friends, time to get this horse back in the barn. And as I teased, we'll talk about the national scene, uh, the college football playoff. It, you know, if it were today, you you would see the usual suspects, right? This is uh, uh, not a revolutionary season by any stretch. Tennessee is good again for the first time in, God, I don't know, a generation. But it's another SEC team in the mix. There have mm-hmm. been two SEC teams in the mix uh, multiple times during the 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 playoff era, uh, but you have two Big Ten teams also in the top four. Uh, it's been a minute since that's happened, and hasn't happened very often. Ohio State and Michigan, of course, will clash at season's end. 
Johnny, which scenario do you feel is more likely to come to pass? Two SEC teams in the college football playoff at year's end or two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff? Oh, God. Uh, definitely SEC teams. I don't. I don't care how it has to happen or what the schedule looks like. I don't care that Georgia is going to be playing Tennessee and they're all going to play each other and blah blah. I don't care. They, they'll they will find a way to get two SEC teams, and if it is at all feasible or possible. So yeah, one hundred percent that. The the other thing I'm curious about is what are the odds that that the Final Four is some combination of. You know, Georgia, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Alabama, whatever that final, you know, permutation of two SEC teams look like and Ohio State and Michigan. Could you see an Ohio State number one, Michigan sneaking in at number four uh, because maybe that's a one V two matchup in, in late November? Ohio State wins by a touchdown or something. You know, it's a close fought battle. It's down to the late minutes of the fourth quarter or whatever. Uh, do you see a scenario where it's, Ohio State, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, whatever the combo is, and Michigan sneaking back in at number four. Yeah, I think it depends on just the nature of what happens in the game and where both teams are and how they look. You know what I mean? Because I think, I I guess, you know, if you were thinking back in 2006, right, and you got the 1v2 game and there was a playoff after that, I definitely think there was a, there would have been a great chance for Michigan to sneak back into the playoff. You know what I mean? Just because of of how those two teams were perceived at the end of the season, right? I mean, that was they were they were very easily considered to be the best teams in college football by a, by a large margin. And if you have a similar situation where these two juggernaut teams, you know, and let's say they're undefeated going into the game, and they play a really good game that just enhances both of their you know, qualities as opposed to, you know, maybe exposing some of their weaknesses, then yeah, I can, I can see it as a possibility. Um, it'll be really hard though, depending on maybe how some of these other, these teams, you know, kind of come charging in. However, <laughs> with that said, there are a lot of other conferences who are just really enjoying shooting themselves in the foot and making any kind of effort or run into also getting into the playoffs. So, um, you know, Pac-12 looking at you, I just, it's not, it's just not happening for these guys. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's a possibility remote, but it, it could happen. Looking at the, uh, road on out here, of course, you've currently got what, one, two, three, four, five, six undefeated yet, uh, Georgia, Ohio state, Tennessee, Michigan, Clemson, and TCU Clemson or TCU, either one I give, give you any, any fits. I mean, I'm kind of looking at this as a foregone conclusion that it's going to be, you know, Georgia, Tennessee, or Alabama. Uh, that Ohio State's going to end up facing in a playoff, assuming they handle their business. But sh- should we should we be paying attention at all to TCU or Clemson as part of this? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think Clemson is that good. I guess is I don't think so either. I mean, they're number I, I five think, in the country, but I'm not just like blown away by Clemson. Well, the thing is, though, I mean, if you look at their upcoming schedule, right? I mean, they the they've got like a clear path to winning the ACC championship. So in that in that case then that would be enough because I think they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's dumb because I agree. I don't think they're very good, but you know, if you're at the end of the year and you've got a, you know, a a big time conference championship in your back pocket and you've got a really good record and maybe some of the teams ahead of you are kind of cannibalizing each other in the same conference, then you you've got a shot, you know, that's, that's, and that's really just the nature of having only four teams in the playoff. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's enough of a resume. And especially if you're a team that has had a lot of success recently in the college football playoff, you've won some championships, you've got a coach who's won some championships. That's, they're going to look at that the same way they look at any other kind of blue blood and then go, all right, well, they deserve to be in it. So I think that's dumb. Again, they're probably going to be more deserving teams at the end of the season than, than Clemson, but you know that would probably be enough for them to get in. All right, that's where we're going to leave it for this week, friends. Ohio State faces Penn State at high noon. It's going to be a good one. Certified banger, as the kids say these days. High noon affair, the big noon game again. Uh, we'll talk about it next week and how it goes down. What do you, well, okay. What do you, how do you think it will go oh, down? Yeah. Good question. I did say earlier, I hadn't quite chalked up my, you know, I've been lowballing Ohio state's offensive output. Uh, honestly, I, I mm-hmm. haven't been giving them enough credit. I've been, 
I've been turning in predictions anywhere, you know, in that sort of 42 to 45 range offensively. And I've been giving the defense, um, I I think, fair respect. I I called the 10 points last week. So I'm going to I'm going to stick in that vein. I think Penn State's defense, um, you know, is is almost as good as as Iowa's statistically, certainly defensive efficiency. They're they're pretty good. Like I say, they're a top five um defense via sp plus there so i'm, I'm going to give them their due uh but i'm also going to give ohio state's offense it's it's due as we said last week it was unstoppable force versus immovable object and i called it 42 10 they won uh 54 10 so i'm going to call this one 49 17 Okay, I'll I'll go a little bit lower on that. I think Penn State will be a lot more successful at shortening the game than Iowa was, but I'll I'll say close to that and say 45-17. We'll go with that. You're just um, trying to do the Bob Barker $1 thing, right? Yeah. You're gonna... <laughs> yeah, basically, look. I, okay, we're both at the top of this 11 Warrior staff thing. Yeah, except you, only be you, one, you, though, are, you are in the lead, though. I mean, you I am have, in the lead. You've got, what, two and a half point lead, something like that, along those lines over me. Give yeah, or take. I'm, I'm this. And by the way, I'm usually garbage at this. So I'm I'm relishing every second that I uh, am at the top. So I'm going to say pretty conservative still, and I'll I'll go 45-17. I was honestly shocked when Dan Hope sent out the, the – uh, standings after week seven i didn't even know that i was anywhere near the top because i usually am not great at these i well I, the year that can we i also the- say that this is also a product of our uh our uh, co-workers maybe not doing so hot <laughs> individually <laughs> well you know i like to think it's because we're giving we're giving the uh, the team it's due respect here. And, yeah, there you and go. They've exactly. been way, we just they've been love, way yeah, too right. conservative on what they think Ohio State's offense is going to do, even more so that's than we right. were last week. So, that's all right, right, good place to end it. Uh, we'll look forward to breaking it down next week for you. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast. <laughs>